Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for this morning, Lord. I'm just excited for what today is, Lord, that we can celebrate you, worship you, Lord God, and also celebrate um, the faith in our um, brothers in Christ here, Lord, and we just thank you for that. And Father, we pray that uh, you would be here with us, your Holy Spirit would speak to us, teach us, instruct us, just uh, encourage us, Lord God, exhort us. Open our ears and our hearts, our minds to your word, Lord. And we thank you for your goodness in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, the title of our message today is uh, Faith and Fear. How many of you can identify that you have a phobia? Any of you have a phobia? How many of you have a phobia of raising your hand? No? Okay. Um, phobias are defined as irrational, uncontrollable fears of something unlikely to cause harm, but it elicits some kind of anxiety or panic, right? I don't know how long or how you developed your phobias. I don't know how you handle your phobias. Uh, This is how we handle phobias in our home. And this may very well be the high point of your insignificant existence. Uh, all right, so, you know, uh, I don't know how many of you have um, acrophobia, fear of heights, right? Actually, I don't know if she would say she has a fear of heights. There's just a little tinge in there. But how you handle fears, there's a lot of different fears. If you look up phobias, uh, there's just so many different kinds of phobias. And phobias are classified in different uh, categories. Some of these you can, may recognize some of them you may have. Um, I didn't show any pictures because I didn't want to trigger any phobias, right? The last thing I want is before the message, I trigger some anxiety and people are like, they can't listen to anything. All they can think of is, is these images. So I didn't put up any images on the screen, but some phobias, arachnophobia, that's a fear of spiders. Claustrophobia, a fear of confined spaces, right? Agoraphobia, fear of public places or crowds, right? Glossophobia, you know what that is? Fear of public speaking, speaking in public. How many of you have that fear? Come on up. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Nyctophobia, you know what that is? Fear of the dark. How many of you had that growing up, perhaps? Um, Trypophobia. Anyone know what that is? That is an aversion or repulsion to objects with repetitive patterns or clusters of small circles. You know what I'm talking about? Honeycombs, sponges. I was going to put a picture up that, but that would probably disgust many of you, and you had no idea you had this phobia. So again, I didn't want to put up images, but some may have this phobia of pictures or patterns of circles together right? 
Some of you may be able to figure some of these other ones out. Do you know what aerophobia is? Fear of flying, right? Arithmophobia. Some of you may go into your math class saying, teacher, I'm sorry, I can't stay. I have arithmophobia. It's a fear of numbers, okay? Bibliophobia, you know what that is? Some of you may want to go into your English class and say, I'm sorry, teacher, I can't continue. I have a fear of books. Cyberphobia. Some of you adults may go to your new boss and say, I'm sorry, I can't do this task because I have a fear of computers. Okay? Some of these other sounds a bit more obscure. How many of you know what androphobia is? Some of you fathers may wish your daughters had this. It's a fear of men. Autophobia. You know what autophobia is? It's a fear of being alone. Amaxophobia. That's a fear of riding in a car. Some of you have been in a taxi in a foreign country. You might have developed amaxophobia. So far, my kids have not had that, I don't think. Atelophobia. You know what that is? A fear of imperfection. Barophobia. Now, I've never heard of this. This is a fear of gravity. Who has a fear of gravity? I guess that's a thing. I don't know. Athebophobia. You know what that is? Some, of these, some teachers may develop this in about 10 months. It's a fear of teenagers. Scolionophobia. Some of you teenagers might develop this in 10 months. It's a fear of school. So there's all these kinds of fears, right? Hopefully you don't identify with any of these. Maybe you do. They're not excuses, okay? So you can't go to your teachers for these things, right? But God created us to experience fear, right? Fear is like this indicator light in our car. It's a warning sign for us, right? And some are fearless, Some people don't have this fear indicator warning light in them, right? But fearlessness can often lead to recklessness, right? If you have no fear, you're willing to do things more recklessly. And obviously, recklessness can often lead to disaster or tragedy, right? You want your child, your young child, to jump into your arms, right? As a parent, you want your child to jump into your arms, But you don't want your young child to just feel like they can jump into anyone's arms, right? That would be a bad thing, right? As parents, we want our kids to be social. But we don't want our kids to be social with just anyone, right? We like to have a little bit of fear as that warning light. I don't want my daughters to have androphobia, a fear of men. But... I don't want them to love the first guy that will give them attention, right? I'll beat them away with a stick, right? You don't want those things. So phobias can be harmful, but they can also be helpful. Or not not phobias necessarily, but fear. Fear can also be a good thing. It can be helpful. It could even be healthy. We learn lessons by experiencing fear right? We learn what to be fearful of, be afraid of. 
We also learn what causes it and what to avoid, what kind of dangers to avoid. And then there are times when God allows us to feel fear to teach us a lesson. He allows us to experience fear so that we can have this memorable impression in our minds so that we can learn, so we can know and understand a certain situation or circumstances. Lessons we will remember. So we're going to turn to our study in Mark chapter 6, and we're going to pick it up in verse 45. And where we left off in Mark... Jesus just fed the multitudes, over 5,000 people, with five loaves and two fish. So he did this miraculous thing. He satisfied thousands of people with, with just five loaves and two fish. He was able to multiply it and feed it, feed the people. So we're going to pick it up in verse 45. And immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he himself was sending the multitude away. And after bidding them farewell, he departed to the mountain to pray. So Jesus, after feeding the multitudes, he sends the disciples alone. He says, why don't you go into the boat and go across? And he stayed behind to disperse the crowd, and then he stayed back to be alone. Now again, Jesus shows us the value of solitude with God. He spends time alone to pray with God. Jesus doesn't just send the disciples away so he can have some alone time, right? I'm tired of you all. All right, you give me a little bit of headache. You go along. Let me have some alone time. Jesus doesn't say, I need to be alone. He doesn't just need some quiet time to himself. He spends this alone time with God. Alone time with God. Many of us can relate to the idea of we need to just have some alone time, right? How many of us need some alone time? All parents raise their hand. No. Right? We need alone time. But how much time do we spend alone with God? Not just solitude, not just time to ourselves, but how much time do we spend alone with God? See, many people, they say, God, leave me alone, right? So many people will say, God, can you just leave me alone? Let me have some time to myself. But how much time do we desire to be alone, but alone with God? Verse 47. And when it was evening, the boat was in the midst of the sea, and he was alone on the land. And seeing them straining at the oars, for the wind was against them, at about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea, and he intended to pass by them. So it's about three to six o'clock in the morning, pitch black at night. If you've ever been out in the sea at night, you can appreciate this scene, right? If you're out on a boat at night in the deep ocean away from city lights, you may be able to see maybe, I don't know, maybe 20 yards in front of you, 30 yards in front of you, but then it's just pitch black, right? So that's the scene. The disciples are miles out into the sea. So your vision is limited. But the disciples are out there by themselves, and they're rowing. 
They're rowing in the sea and the waves, the wind is strong and they're rowing against the sea. They're straining. If you've been out and you're paddled down the waters, if you're going against the current, it's tough. It's hard. And they're straining and they're struggling. And then here comes Jesus walking on the water. I love this. I've always wondered, how is Jesus walking on the water? Now, when I ask that, it's not about can he do it. I have no, no problems with Jesus walking on the water. He indeed, being the eternal Son of God, he can do miracles, he has mastery over creation. Him walking on water is not a big deal to me. What I wonder is, how did he walk on the water? Because I'm trying to envision Jesus. I wonder if Jesus walking on the water, he just made the waves part as he's walking by. That would be a great scene, right? He's walking by, the waves are roaring, except for where he's walking, they just kind of part. I don't know. Did Jesus just ride, walk on the top of the waters like this? That's what I envisioned. He's just riding. If I was able to walk on water, I would do that, right? I'd ride that wave, so I'm walking like this. We don't know how he's walking about, but Jesus walking along. And what I find kind of funny also is that Mark says he intended to walk by them. So Jesus seeing the disciples struggling, and he's walking on the water, and his intention was to walk by them. Why did he, was he wanting to walk by them? I don't know. We're not given that information. I wonder if, if, if Jesus was going to walk by and he saw the disciples, I wonder if he was going to wave at them as he walked by. That would be kind of a funny scene, right? Disciples struggling, rowing. They're struggling, having a hard time. And Jesus looking at them. <laughs> not so easy when I'm not in there, huh? Walking by. I don't know if he was going to say something, wave at them. We don't know for sure. But when they saw him walking on the sea... They supposed that it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were frightened. But immediately he spoke with them and said to them, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind stopped, and they were greatly astonished, for they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their heart was hardened." So Jesus immediately, he sees their reaction. He says, take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. And as soon as Jesus entered the boat, the wind calmed and the waves calmed. Now, Matthew's account includes some information that Mark doesn't. I don't know if Peter was saying like, yeah, you, don't, you can skip this detail, Mark. You don't have to add this. I don't know how it played out. But Matthew adds some different, some interesting details about what happened from the time the disciples see Jesus and the time he enters the boat. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 14, verse 26. Matthew 14. Matthew's taking account the same story, the same things that are happening. But he adds this information. And when the disciples saw Jesus walking on the sea, they were frightening, saying, frightened, saying, it's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, courage, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Now check out Peter. Some may describe Peter as passionate yet impulsive, right? 
perhaps he's driven more by emotions rather than reason, right? They're more, he's more emotional reaction than actual rationalizing out. Sometimes he reminds me of like teenage boys or teenagers, right? Teenagers, they're emotionally driven. They'll respond without necessarily thinking about what they're getting into. So here Peter, he says, if it is really you, command me to come to you. Now, does that make sense? To me, this has never made sense to me. If Peter wasn't sure that was Jesus and it might have been a ghost, him saying, if you're really Jesus, command me to come out to you. Now, if I'm a ghost, I would say, oh, great. I'm going to mess with these disciples. Yeah, all of you come out to me, right? Yeah, all come out in the water. You're going to sink. But Peter had some boldness about him. There's something about Peter that, yes, he may have reacted emotionally, and God bless Peter, and God bless all the, the teenage boys this here. I'm not trying to demean you all, right? You're all mainly here. Good for you all. Be bold, right? But God bless Peter because he went out to step on that water. I admire his boldness. If Jesus calls Peter out of the boat, Peter is willing to trust that Jesus will do something miraculous, right? Peter said, Jesus, if this is you, command me to come out of the boat, because if I come out of the boat, I'm going to be good. Matthew goes on, and he said, Jesus said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. Now we truly see the Lord's grace and mercy and goodness here. Jesus tells Peter, All right, Peter, come on out to me. And Peter does so. And he begins to walk on the water toward Jesus. Amazing, right? Now, we don't know how far Peter got. We don't know how many steps Peter able to make. But are you familiar with that line, that fine line between feeling brave and feeling cowardice? You know that fine line, feeling bravery and cowardice, feeling bold and fear, confidence and panic? You know that fine line? where you cross, where you are feeling good, feeling brave, and feeling strong, and just split moments. The panic sets in. I think this is what happens to Peter. Peter crossed that line between bravery and cowardice, confidence and doubt, boldness and fear. Peter walked toward Jesus. He saw Jesus walk towards him, but then what happened? It says he saw the wind. Now, we don't see the wind, right? But we see the effects of the wind. And when Peter takes his eyes off Jesus, he starts to see all the reasons around him that tells him this should not happen. You should not be able to do this. I'm sure he's seeing the wind, the the waves coming around, the water splashing. And this is interesting. It says, 
begins to sink. He begins to sink. Now, if you're on a boat and it's taking on too much water, what's going to happen? It's going to begin to sink, right? Ever since I met Jamie, she's tried to teach me how to float. Float on my back. I cannot float. I will try and relax, but my bottom half just goes... And I slowly begin to sink until I'm just like, like, like this, right? I don't know if any of you are like that. If, we are, if, if something, we're out in the ocean and something happens to our boat, Jamie's good. I am dead, right? I cannot sink. One time when Michaela was just little, about two years old or so, we're out in the backyard, there's a pool, and I put her near the steps, right? She's able to stand and walk. And for some reason, I went on the other side of the pool. Now, this is not my glorious best father moments, okay? She didn't have floaties, didn't have a vest. Jamie wasn't around. That's the first sign of trouble. So I'm out on the other side, and I'm seeing her. My eyes are on her. And the next thing you know, she takes a step, sinks down. Now, she didn't just go slowly and say, Daddy, help me. That didn't happen. I went up on the board. I dove in there and one dive in, picked her up and got her up before she can sink down to the bottom. She did not slowly sink. She did not begin to sink. She sank. If you go to your pool, you try to take one step into your pool, are you going to begin to sink? You just sink right? There is no beginning. You just fall in the water. It's interesting that Peter, he sees the wind, the effects of the wind, all the reasons why he shouldn't be walking on the water, and it says he began to sink. And he says, Lord, save me. Michaela did not have time to say, Daddy, What are you doing on the other side of the pool without me there? You should be here. Pick me up. She had no time for that. She didn't even have time to say, ah. She just sank. Peter shouts out, Lord, save me. One thing about Peter, he may have been impulsive, even impetuous, but he experienced powerful memories and lessons. His boldness, while maybe have been reckless in a moment, he certainly experienced powerful lessons and memories. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind stopped. Jesus stretches out his hand, gets Peter and says to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Jesus' response seems to imply that if Peter did not doubt, he may have went straight to Jesus, and they could have strolled in the boat together. But Jesus holds his doubt, his lack of faith, accountable to him. He says, why did you doubt? Now, we don't really know why Peter doubted. Did he doubt Jesus? I don't think so. 
Did he doubt himself? Possibly. Did he doubt the circumstances that told him he should not do it? Probably. But Jesus didn't let him sink, but he went slowly. That's why I say this is God's grace, the Lord's grace here. He let him sink slowly, so that moment, that realization is, uh uh-oh, I'm in trouble. Lord, save me. I assume Peter knew how to swim. He's a fisherman. But he cried out, Lord, save me. Fear can turn to faith, but so quickly can revert back to fear and doubt, can't it? Verse 31, or 51, back at Mark. So we're going back to Mark. And he got into the boat with them, Jesus being, and the wind stopped, and they were greatly astonished, for they had not gained any insight from the incident of the lows, but their heart was hardened. It's interesting, the disciples experienced firsthand Jesus' miracles. He just, they just saw what Jesus had done, yet they did not gain any insight to Jesus. They didn't get it. They didn't perceive or understand what the image and what Jesus was showing the people. And I don't think this is just a matter of God didn't allow them to see because Jesus holds them accountable. A a, a very underlying theme in our study of Mark that I've emphasized with you all. We're paying attention to this theme of faith and unbelief. We're seeing the faith and belief of the disciples, the faith and belief of the people and the multitudes, but we're also seeing the unbelief and the doubt among the disciples and the unbelief of the multitudes. And we see in examples where they're being held accountable not only for their faith, but their unbelief. And we're going to see more of this in chapter 8. So we see, so it's interesting, the disciples, they didn't get it. Even though Jesus performed these miracles, they didn't quite understand or see what they needed to see or learn. We go on in Matthew. And when they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they had come out of the boat, immediately the people recognized him and ran about the whole country and began to carry about their pallets, those who were sick, to the place that they had heard he was. And wherever he entered villages or cities or countryside, they were laying the sick in the marketplaces and entreating him that they might just touch the fringe of his cloak. And as many as touched it were being cured. Now we've been seeing examples in Mark of unbelief, right? Unbelief of the disciples, unbelief of the people. But Mark is showing us examples of faith as well. Jesus goes and he lands to the area. The people recognize him. They've heard about Jesus. Maybe they have seen him and word spreads throughout the area and the region and they're coming to see Jesus. Wherever he's going, they're taking people by pallets who are sick, laying them down the marketplaces so Jesus can heal them. Even so that they would even go and say, you know what, if I just touch his garment, I will be healed. Does this sound familiar? Remember, we've heard these situations before. 
the hemorrhaging woman, the woman who had a hemorrhaging for 12 years, she had the faith and said, if I just touch Jesus' garment, I will be healed. Perhaps she's reported and word got around about Jesus, that if you just touch his garment, you will be healed. Jesus healed someone, a man who was paralyzed, who couldn't walk, and he was carried by four friends. Jesus healed them. So word is getting out about Jesus, and people are being healed. Now you look at this passage, and you can, if you've been with us throughout our study in Mark, this may sound familiar. This resembles our stories in Mark 4, verses 35 through chapter 520. Here's some similarities and differences. Going back from Mark 4, 35 to now. The disciples were in the boat with Jesus at that time. This time, the disciples were alone in the boat, right? Strong winds and waves tossed the boat. This time, the disciples were rowing against that strong wind. The disciples feared for their life. Due to the waves, this time the disciples feared when they saw Jesus. They thought it was a ghost. Jesus commands the wind to be still. This time, Jesus enters the boat and the wind is still. Jesus questions their fear and faith. This time, Jesus assures them. He says, be courageous, be of good cheer, do not fear. The disciples were very much afraid After Jesus calmed the winds, this time the disciples are greatly astonished again, trying to make out who Jesus is. Jesus arrives on the shore to be approached by a demon-possessed man. This time Jesus arrives to be approached by the people of the area. Jesus delivers the man from legion, the many demons. Jesus here performs miracles. The people in Decapolis begged Jesus to leave. When Jesus exercised the demons, frees the man from all these demons, the people are so frightened. They say, can you please leave? We don't want you around here. Can you please go? This time, the people in the area begged Jesus to stay. Can you please heal? Both passages, we see examples of fear, doubt, and faith. Now, one of the questions I had about this passage I thought of is that why did Jesus send the disciples alone to fight the winds and the waves by themselves? And we can, we can question that. We don't know for sure why he, was, he left them out alone. Why did he, he didn't just say, disciples, wait here while I go pray and then we'll go together. Perhaps Jesus was teaching them a lesson. Now, this is all, you know, I'm just guessing. Perhaps they needed a lesson in a pride check, Right? The disciples were sent out to go do ministry and they experienced some level of success. Demons were being cast out. People were being healed. They were proclaiming these things. Perhaps, I'm just guessing, maybe it was a pride check. Maybe they needed to experience what it was like to be alone and Jesus wasn't in the boat. How would they respond? How would they react to their circumstances? I don't really know. We don't know the full picture yet. But just like in any passage you look at in Scripture, one of the things you want to do to learn is you want to ask yourself, what do we learn about God in this story, in this passage? What do we learn about God? What's the message that God is speaking to us, to people then and people now? 
And then what do we learn about ourselves? And how are we to live in response to this passage? So those are the basic things that when you read scripture, you want to find out. What do we learn about God? What does this tell us about God? What is his message to his people? And how do we apply? What do we learn about ourselves? And how do we live in light of these things, right? So there's some things to marinate to think about. Let me go over quickly. One of the first things, we see the divine nature of Jesus, his authority over creation, a theme that we're seeing throughout Mark, and we say again, we see his divine nature, who Jesus is. He's not just a mere man or a good teacher. Jesus walks on the waters. Jesus calms the winds. And Jesus heals the sick. He does the miraculous. So what do we learn about God? What do we learn about Christ? He is above creation. All of creation is subject to him. The second thing we look at, God's message to his people is do not fear. Be courageous. What you see throughout scripture, God's message to his people, do not fear. Be courageous. I am with you. We see this in Genesis. He assures Abram his promise. He says to Abram, don't fear. I am with you. I am your shield. I am your reward. He says to Hagar and Ishmael when they're alone, they were cast out. They were alone. God heard their cries and his message to them was, do not fear for God has heard the voice of your crying. In Genesis 46.3, God assures Jacob in a time of great transition. He says, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. Don't be afraid because I am with you. In Deuteronomy, upon the Israelites going into the promised land, he says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble at the enemies, those other people who are bigger and stronger than you. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. And then even to Israel, even though they're unfaithful, even though Israel was unfaithful to God, yet his message to them, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. A theme throughout scripture, God's message to his people, you have no reason to fear, I am with you. I will be there with you. And what does Jesus say? When the disciples are alone and they see, they think he's a ghost, what's his message? He could have walked on by. He could have said, maybe if, it, if I was in that situation, I would have said, yeah, you enjoy this fear for a little bit. He says, take courage. Do not be afraid. It's me. I'm with you. Regardless of circumstance, situation, your ability or inability, we need not fear when the Lord is with us. No matter what your circumstance, situation is, the Lord is with us. What do I have to be afraid of? So what's some personal application? Some thoughts. When fear comes, remember 
Jesus is the calm and the reason we need not fear. There are circumstances we're going to enter that we should be afraid of. But what we see here, Jesus is the calm and the reason we should not fear. Peter began to seek when he took his eyes off Jesus. And we can often relate to that experience, right? When we're in situations, especially when God calls us in situations, and we look all around us and we see reasons why we should be afraid, why we should doubt, why we shouldn't go into a situation, it's easiest for us to say, you know what, I'm skipping out on this one. But Jesus says, I will be your calm. I will be your strength in your situation. And then we are to fix our eyes on Jesus. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus. Our mind and our heart will follow. If our eyes are on Jesus, our mind is on Jesus, then our heart is on Jesus. You will be surprised how many circumstances that you're in that you should normally be afraid of And you say, you know what? Lord, my eyes are on you. And where you lead me, I can go and not be afraid and not be scared because you're with me. My eyes are on you, right? When you tell your kid when they're learning something to walk, "Look look at daddy, look at mommy. Just stay here. Don't look at those things. Look right here. Hebrews, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He says, look, Lay aside all the weight that burdens you, the sin that easily entangles you, the weight that you carry, the stress that you carry, the worries that you have, all those reasons you have to doubt and to fear. He says, lay it aside. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. He endured the cross for you so that you have no reason to be afraid if your eyes are fixed on him. Jesus in our boat, not on our own. There are a lot of people who overcome fears, right? You don't have to be a Christian to overcome fear. I can, I can agree with that. But I would say it is much better that Jesus is in your boat and to help you in times of fear or in times of prosperity and goodness. It is much better that we say, Jesus, I'd rather you be in our boat than me try to effort and do life without you. To try to figure it out on my own. I would much rather have Jesus in my boat with me. It's easier to fix my eyes on him. Don't compartmentalize God for Sundays. Don't compartmentalize. Don't push God out of the different areas in your life. Let him be in your life, in your boat, wherever you go, so it's easier to fix your eyes on him, to not lose sight of him, so that you know and he'll steer you in those moments of fear or doubt or worry. And he says, look, I'm here with you. Do not be afraid.
I'll end with this verse. John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. My word to us in closing, God does not want to live us in fear of the circumstances, of the situation. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to fear. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much. We thank you, Lord. You have such compassion, kindness, grace, mercy towards us, Lord. And there are times, Lord, that we could sink to the bottom quickly. Yet, Lord, your grace allows us to kind of go a little slowly so that we can recognize our need for you. Father, may we not turn our back on you, but may our eyes be fixed on you, Lord Jesus. May we have faith and trust in you, Lord. And we ask this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.